Good morning, and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelley Reback, your host for WMNF's Mid-Florida, Mid-Week, Mid-Morning Dose of News and Public Affairs with a Local Perspective. You are listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, Tampa Bay's only independent, commercial-free FM radio, brought to you by you because we are supported by generous listeners just like you. Today we are going to be discussing a volatile issue that is stirring up some property owners and parents with kids in the Hillsborough County school system. The school system has announced their intention to change the enrollment boundaries for neighborhood schools for the first time in many, many years. People are upset. Some affluent South Tampa residents complain that changes to the Plant High School District will drag down their property values. Some East Tampa residents are angry that their neighborhood school may close down altogether and their kids may be bused to schools farther away from their homes. But most people agree that something must be done to address the overcrowding in some schools and the empty classrooms in others. Currently, according to school superintendent Addison Davis, 24% of the county's schools are overcrowded with insufficient resources to adequately serve all their students, while 44% of the schools do not have enough students to make it economically feasible to operate them. So the district has hired a consultant to advise the school board on what to do about these inequities, and the consultant has proposed three different scenarios to address these problems. In each of the scenarios, the district is considering completely, quote, repurposing, a term they prefer to use instead of closing, 12 underutilized schools, potentially, eventually, changing them to become things like early learning centers or even teacher housing. The superintendent has said that the school system does not intend to sell these school properties, but no one is really clear on what they will be used for or whether they might be sold off in the future. This uncertainty has left the public and even the school board that ultimately must decide what to do regarding the boundary changes with little information about whether and how much true financial savings will be achieved by any of the three proposed scenarios. The Hillsborough County school system is the third largest school district in Florida and the eighth largest in the United States. It is governed by the school board of Hillsborough County, which consists of seven elected nonpartisan members and one superintendent who is hired by the board. The Hillsborough County public school system is now ranked 19th among the state's 73 school districts. And in 2023, there are 458 schools in the district, 262 elementary schools, 121 middle schools, and 75 high schools. We know that the schools are not all equal, not in terms of resources, test scores, qualified teachers, graduation rates, and many other significant measurements. They are also not equal in population, with some schools greatly over-enrolled, well beyond their reasonable capacity, and other schools significantly underutilized, with enrollments well below their capacity that makes them extremely expensive to operate. But is closing them the best solution? We're going to talk about it today with my guests. All my guests are members and officers of the county's PTA organization. They have been studying the proposed boundary change plans and attending the programs for the public sponsored by the school system 
and I doubt that there is anyone better informed on the current state of affairs regarding these changes than my guests. Uh, I'd first like to introduce Ellen Lyons, who is the Vice President of Advocacy for the Hillsborough County PTA, uh, who helped me prepare for this program. So welcome, Ellen. Oh, thank you very much, Shelley. It's lovely to be here. And we have with us Amy Marie Granger-Welch, who is the president of the county PTA organization. Welcome to Midpoint, Amy. Thanks for having us. And a little bit later, we're going to welcome by phone Alicia Oates, who is the vice president of community engagement for the county PTA. Uh, I want to thank you all for being here. And before we get started, I want to invite our listeners to join this conversation with your questions or comments about the proposed school boundary changes. And you can do that by calling us at 813-239-9663, emailing us at dj at wmnf.org, or texting us at 813-433-433. 0885. So let's start with you, Ellen. Can you please give us a little background on how we got here in Hillsborough C- County, why the changes are necessary, and what changes are being proposed? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having us on, Shelley. I just want to um, clarify that that number of schools is about double of what we actually have. We have about 200 and 50 schools within the district. It's not that many. Hmm. Um, and the schools, there's in each of the three scenarios, a different number of schools are going to be repurposed. In the first scenario, only three schools will be repurposed and one high school have a partial repurposing. But to take you back, about a year ago, uh, the district um, realized that it has a problem, and it's the problem that you described, which is that some schools are overutilized and some are severely underutilized. When a school is underutilized, it actually creates an equity problem because it costs so much more to run that the dollars are not being fairly spent. So a student in a school where you have to pay extra to maintain the school or you have classes that are not Um, the same size as they are in other schools, that costs more money and it takes money away from other schools. So um, that was a concern of the district. Uh, State funding has not drastically improved since, um, since until very recently. The last several decades. Well, actually it was pretty good. We were 20, we would rank 23rd in the United States uh, in school funding in 2006. But then real property values started to get very unsteady and because we don't have a state sales tax, there was a special session that took the the money that's uh, it's basically a per pupil dollar amount that a district receives and they cut that um, by hundreds of dollars in that year. And so in 2007, we actually had less money and they just really haven't ever brought back the funding. Last year- Well, we they've, did- been de- they've been putting more energy and money into things like vouchers um, and that making vouchers available so kids could leave the public school system and get into private schools. Well, that is one aspect, which is where they're taking money that is per pupil money and people are using it for those purposes. Um, But what is really important is the per pupil amount per year because we take all that money, we aggregate it together. And last year, there was actually a substantial increase in the amount of per pupil funding, but it came with the mandate that the district has to pay every single employee $15 an hour, kind of an unfunded mandate. Uh, So it was something that was a 
a good thing, but it was also a little bit, and I don't think it's bad that we pay $15 an hour. That part's terrific. It just put the district under what's called uh, compression. Uh, because now if everybody's making $15 an hour, someone who was making eight, or excuse me, who was doing $15 an hour work, but was a manager is now making the same as the line worker. So it creates compression. And by the way, we have that with teacher salaries as well. The first seven years, um, teachers will make uh, $47,500 a year. And then in that year eight, they make about $500 more. It's called compression. It creates um, financial pressure um, on the district because there's no way for people move up and it causes some people to leave the profession. Okay, but going back to the issue of the boundary changes yes, now, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three different... The, the, yes, the, the yes, district so hired a consultant. They hired a consultant, And yes. the consultant has proposed three different scenarios Correct. for uh, creating circumstances that will hopefully alleviate some of this financial compression that you've right. been referring to. It's compression. And also mm-hmm. create more equitable populations in the schools that remain. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So let's talk about those those three different scenarios. Right. Um, and I know that there's a lot of minutia and I can't, we can't unfortunately get into the weeds of mm-hmm. the, the difference, the three different scenarios. But overall, there are some very big points of difference between them. For yes. example, I understand that in scenario, scenario three, for example, um, would affect 24,000 county public school students now who would have to change uh, their current uh, enrollment. Mm -hmm. Scenario one, I understand, would affect 11,000 students who would have to change their enrollment. So that's a big difference. Right. That's a big big difference. I'm not sure what scenario two uh, calls for. But in any event, that seems there are there are different concerns among people in the county over these various scenarios because of where the boundary changes are and frankly how it affects their own family their sure. their kids i yeah. mean everybody's concerned about their own kids first let's be real about that um but people in in affluent south tampa are also concerned that their property values may change if their kids for example on the west side of the south tampa peninsula who were who are today designated to plant high school now would have to go to Jefferson High School, mm-hmm. which is underutilized, for example. You know, their concern is, hey, you know, our property values are high because we are in the plant school district. And now if we if our school district changes to Jefferson, um, we may lose some value. They're also concerned because Jefferson may not have the same scholastic resources of Plant High School, not as many AP classes, Mm -hmm. not as many qualified teachers for certain subjects, not as many uh, extracurricular type activities and those type of things. It's It's different. different, It's it's different, but Jefferson's actually an outstanding school. It's got a really good principal. Uh, They have a number of programs, and the ideal thing that Jefferson offers is they offer academics, but they also offer um, career um, placement right. uh, and training. They have a welding program. They have a maritime science program. Um, they have a banking where they have like a little credit union in their school and they have a culinary program. It's a different school. Um, and I think the parents are saying that 
that's an awesome thing. I don't think anybody is trying to, well, there, there are probably people who are saying it's a C-rated school, but that would change. Is it a I C-rated think. school? Um, I believe it is. Yeah, Amy doesn't know either. Um, but I do think it's at least a C. Mm-hmm. But schools change too. They, school, they change based on populations because yes. those test scores, the way that school grades are created, uh, they tell you about the kids that go to school there. They tell you a little bit about the learning gains. There's a tiny component of school grades that is learning gains, and that's going to be driven by teachers. Um, so that's important. But for the most part, school grades tell you about the students that are going there and whether they're meeting the benchmarks for yeah. and and um, I, I I brought up the plant to Jefferson example mm-hmm. only because it's something that I'm familiar with mm-hmm. in terms of the you know what the population in the in the South Tampa Peninsula if the school system was only concerned about overcrowding at Plant High School then the the change that would make the most sense is to send Davis Island kids and Hyde Park kids to Blake mm-hmm. because geographically that makes the most sense they're so close to Blake High School, and yet they're designated currently to Plant High School. Right. But I don't believe that Blake has the same issues with underutilization that Jefferson has. And so, is it is it true that the reason why there's a there's a plan to move certain, I guess it's the west side of South the South Tampa Peninsula. Uh, kids from plant to Jefferson is that because Jefferson is also underutilized it might be because it might be well I mean that would be one of the questions I would want to know from the consultants why didn't you just move Davis Island and and maybe even Hyde Park to Blake and that would alleviate uh, you know overcrowding at plant to some extent maybe right. not as much as the transfer to Jefferson would right I and don't I, know I don't know the answer to that question but I think that parents are saying that look you want to make these changes Next August, Jefferson is not going to be able to be the same kind of school that is uh, at Plant, where they have, I think, 32 advanced placement courses and a lot of clubs and sports and things like that. So it's just different. Um, Not better or worse. It's just different. And they're saying that... Well, parents are saying it's worse. Right. There's, I'm not whether it objectively or not. Um, you know, there are less they AP are using classes. Grades, there which are I already less. told you are flawed. Right, but there are less, fewer AP classes. There right. are that's, that's fewer extracurriculars for those reasons, and they say they won't be at Jefferson, so that's why they don't want to go, and they don't think the district is going to be able to retool to have those same opportunities for their children at Jefferson next year. Right. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that parents are, I imagine, you know challenging uh, the consultants on at these public engagement um, opportunities that the school system has set up recently. Maybe we should talk about that because, um, you know, I don't have kids in the system any any longer, but um, for our listeners who do, um, I'm sure that they have questions and the school system has set up a number of opportunities for public engagement and uh, I wonder if you can tell us what they are. We'll do this now, and we'll reiterate these um, this information at the end of the show too, in case uh, you can't stay on for the whole show. So, Amy, uh, Amy Marie, tell us uh, what are some of these opportunities for uh, parents and residents in Hillsborough County to learn more about this boundary change plan? Um, well, they are having Galleria walkthroughs, which is. Um 
Which is awesome. They're doing them um, every night this week at two different high schools each night. Tonight and we'll before be, you get into that, let me yeah. just say, why are, why are these all happening right now? Because the decision is going to be made, what, in late February, February right? February 21st. Yes. Yeah, February 21st, the school board is going to have to vote and and select one of these plans, I assume. No? No, no the superintendent's going to take adjustments based on the um, community engagement, and he's going to come up with a model and propose it to the district, uh, to the school board. The school board can accept, reject, or modify the plan. Oh, okay. So that it's very important for people who are stakeholders in uh, the school to show up at these community engagement opportunities and make their voices heard mm-hmm. because those those uh, critiques, if you will, will be uh, taken into consideration and the consultants may even modify the plans that they've proposed so far and present something different to the school board, right? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, Superintendent Davis came to Monday's event at Middleton, uh, gave a presentation, and Kushan Dave, who's the project manager for uh, WXY Studio, uh, he was there and he spoke about it as well. I think they are absolutely taking input right now. And they're encouraging online input, but if you go to these meetings and you talk to them, that's also very important. Yeah, so Amy Marie, tell us about the meetings. Okay. Um, I... And I know we talk about parents and stakeholders in the in the school. You know, if you don't have a school a school age child, it's still important because our schools are you know they're the heartbeat of the community many times. So even if you are a community member, please come to these gallerias. But uh, the Galleria walkthroughs are at um, area high schools. Tonight's at Lado and Plant High School. Uh, tomorrow is at, at what time? Five thirty to seven thirty. Five thirty to seven thirty tonight night. at Lado and Plant uh-huh. High Schools. And Tomorrow is Gaither and Sickles. Okay. And then uh, Friday is Wharton and Bloomingdale. Okay. So and it's the same time each 530 night. 5.30 to 7.30 every night. Um, and uh, we'll run through that again at the end of the show. Um, before we go on, I want to welcome um, our other guest, Alicia, are you with us? Hello. Hello, yeah. Speak up so we can uh, hear you clearly. Alicia's on the phone with us, calling in, and she is the Vice President of Community Engagement um, for the Hillsborough County PTA system. So welcome, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Is there something that you want to add to the information that Amy, Amy Marie just gave us about these community engagement opportunities? Um, not, I don't want to add anything to that, um, other than, um, I hope the community come out so they can get input, but I definitely want to add on to what, um, Ellen stated in regards to Jefferson High School, Uh um, and not having the same program as planned. And it's real, it's disturbing to me and, um, and other parents that the school doesn't have those opportunities for those kids at Jefferson, being a mother of two kids that graduated from Jefferson, um, my kids would have definitely benefited from those AP programs. Sure. I think it definitely has opened the eyes to the district that more AP programs need to be at more schools in Hillsborough County so that that can't be the reason that kids are not attending schools in the district. 
Yes, I, I I think that this whole process has really opened the eyes of many people in the community to the inequities among schools um, right. in many ways. I I, I, ho- I hope that anyway. Is that your sense of it, Alicia? I'm sorry. I said, is that your sense of it also that that this whole process of the boundary change? Um, and the communication yes. with the the uh, the parents in the school district has, I think, maybe opened up the eyes of a number of parents to the existence of inequities in the school system. Well, I, yes, I definitely think so. I actually think it just added again on top of the fact that this was brought to light during COVID. So it's just another eye-opening um, opportunity for the district because um, I really think they know. But now the community sees it as well on a larger scale. So I definitely think it's opening the eyes of everyone. Right. Um, You know, one of the things that I have read uh, that um, the community is becoming very conscious of is that a lot of the schools or a number of schools on this list of 12 that are potentially going to be repurposed, meaning closed, um, are in, you know, the East Tampa community, are in the urban community, um, and, um, you know, these schools are, are neighborhood anchors, and I think that there's got to be some concern in those communities where the schools are located that they're going to be losing, you know, this this resource, this community resource and something that binds the community together, not to mention the fact that the kids who would otherwise go to that neighborhood school are now going to have to go to a school much farther away from their neighborhood there and farther from their home. Yes, correct. That is correct. The, so the what are you hearing are, about that, Alicia? So what, parents are really concerned, um, especially um they're not getting a clear understanding of what repurposing means. Um, some of the questions that they're asking is, what is it going to be now? Is the school going to be actually closed? Is it going to be housing? Or is it going to be a charter school? So parents are, are really concerned of any clarification on what the actual repurposing means. And the fact that, like East Tampa, we are sending kids from Jennings to Sly but we're passing by Williams. You're saying you want our kids to um, be at schools in their area. Well, why would we not send kids from Jennings if we're going to move them to Williams? Which well, is what, is this, what is the system answer to that question? Williams is a magnet school, and it would be too much work to change Williams. Oh. I, I'm, and I'm not clear on what that means. Oh, I see. Williams, Young, and Orange Grove in the heart of East Tampa, yet none of our East Tampa kids can attend those schools. Those are magnet programs that our kids are not able to utilize. Kids well, why, why, why can't they open. utilize them? Do they not have a certain percentage of the school population reserved for neighborhood kids? No. Amy Marie is shaking her head no. No, they don't. No, they don't. Okay. No, it, you have to apply. You have to apply and you have to be accepted? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, uh-huh. I believe it's a lottery system. Oh, okay. All right. 
Um, I have a number of emails here that I want to um, throw out. Uh, Can I add one thing before we move on? The mm-hmm. district is going to be adding an AICE. It's a Cambridge program. It's like AP, and every high school is going to be getting one next year, and that's going to be a really good development. AICE gives you also the benefit. You know how in when you're p- applying for colleges, you get a little boost to your GPA mm-hmm. because you've taken an AP class? Mm-hmm. The ACE program works the same way. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a really nice development. Plus, okay. they if they... If they graduate with an ACE uh, Cambridge diploma, they mm-hmm. get Fulbright Futures yeah. without having to... Um, it's like the IB? Grade point. Right. It's exactly well, like Well, it's, yes, it's a little bit like AP. It's, it's IB. IB. It's a little bit. It's a little it's bit It's a different easy. curriculum. It's mm-hmm. a different curriculum. Yes. There's more of it. The, cla- the, the tests are, there's one test, I believe. It's... It, it's a little easier. I think so. I'm um, comparing them. It seems like a really good development. It seems I'm glad. Like a huge. It's going to make it more for accessible. I hope so. Yeah, because yeah. so. IB what programs I good for Jefferson um, to have at the school if the changes go through for the families who are concerned mm-hmm. about their kids leaving plans, so they still have opportunities at Jefferson. So right. Yeah. Apparently, this program would also be at Jefferson, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what the district sure. is saying. Okay. All right. Well, um, I have an email here from Hunter Gambrell, who I know was a um, candidate for the school board in the last school board election cycle. And, and Hunter Gambrell says, the district should be doing a comprehensive review every decade to coincide with the census changes. Well, that seems sensible. I yeah. mean, have they? Uh, yeah, this is the first time these boundary changes have been actually mm, not addressed. Really. In- I mean, it's been brought up before, but they haven't committed to but do anything. keep in mind, so we had a 1971 desegregation order, right? Mm-hmm. Then we had a consent order in 1991 because we had to have the uh, federal judge mm-hmm. uh, approve our middle school system. We went from a single-grade center system to a middle school system, and then we finally got... Our district was not covered by federal oversight in 2001. And in that time since 2001, they have changed boundaries uh, kind of on an ad hoc basis. They haven't been doing it decade by decade like Mr. suggests. And they Cameron haven't been suggests. doing it system-wide. They've no. been doing it when a new school has been right. built. And that's and why we want this to succeed. Yeah. We want them to be able to do this. They just have to do it right. Um, it needs to happen. There's no question. Okay. Um, he also says, uh, could the district look at moving district offices and administration into the schools that they are proposing to close? And then would it be possible for the district administrators to handle instructional and operational needs of the remaining families at this school in an effort to save some money? I, I don't think that would be... Oh, I think that's exactly what they're going to do in fir- terms of his first suggestion, which is let's close Oh, yeah, sacks, they're going to move the sell admin the Raymond, there, but yeah. they're not going to make the admin people teach classes. Oh, no, no. I don't think that that's realistic. Um, However, they have... They did... Um, in the beginning of the school year, many of our certified yeah, they've been know, in the classroom. These are all certified all, teachers. Yeah, they yeah. were in the classroom. I mean, they did. were, but so, I don't think that 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 they would. But it's it make would them an, teach classes, though. I just think that that would be well, you it, know. It doesn't work because they are administrators. And And they they have other jobs now. Okay, so I have another email here who uh, wants to... to say that parents can only go on the data that we're provided with. Mm -hmm. Those are the Florida Department of Education grades, referring to the A through, you know, F uh, grades. 
and the data that the district has provided and the information that the schools themselves tell us. So I think what this listener is, is suggesting is that it's hard for parents to understand exactly what it means for their kid to be transferred to a different school given the boundary changes when they don't understand anything but what they're given and what they're given is such limited information about what's available i cannot tell you how much i empathize with that statement yeah which is a great reason for more community outreach this is what we you know this is what we're asking for really is more community outreach Mm -hmm. more listening more feedback Mm -hmm. more opportunities for that and i guess you know uh as representatives of the pta you would be able to answer this but certainly um, parents can go to a school and ask for the opportunity to meet with the, either the principal, assistant principal, guidance counselor, what have you, you know, and learn more about what that school currently has available if their student is potentially going to go to that school. Yeah, and you can also go on the FLDOE portal, which has all the raw data from the FSA um, and that's really helpful because school grades don't always tell you the story. Um, if you look at the raw data, you can see how each grade performs on the FSA. Now, it's going to be called the FAST, but it's the same concept. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, I do have another um, text message I want to share from Bubba who says one option for families affected by the boundary changes is to get a family empowerment scholarship from Step Up for Students and go to a high-quality private school. He recommends Tampa Catholic. I don't have, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not promoting any particular school here on WMNF, but um, gosh, you know, there's so much to say about that kind of a suggestion. I mean, one of the reasons why so many of our schools are underutilized, particularly schools in the urban area, is because people have been encouraged to get these scholarships, these, and these vouchers and go, go to, uh, go to different private schools. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we have so much underutilization in the urban core of public schools. Um, that's been a, that's been a, something that's been promoted by the Republican state legislature for the last two decades is an increase in school vouchers. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why we find ourselves in this position now where neighborhood schools are emptying out and, uh, and, you know, are underutilized, and, and now we're looking at closing them. Um, Alicia, you back with us? I am. Did, okay. Did you hear that last comment? I did, and that is um, actually true. A lot of parents are, unfortunately, going to send their kids to private or charter schools with these changes. Um it's unfortunate, and I think it's a part of the it's the reason. It's part of the process. I think that some of these things are happening are intentional to make Hillsborough um, County more charter based, more private. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I should say um, I want to read out the list of the schools that are being considered for repurposing, which means being closed. Um, and uh, I know that n- not. All of the scenarios, not all of the three scenarios, include all of these schools, right? right? That's correct. In scenario one, it's just elementary, Adams Middle School, and Monroe Middle School. And then 300 stations, student stations from Chamberlain, will be 
uh, repurposed, which means they'll probably move district offices into that area. Okay. So that's that's scenario one. That's scenario that's one. That's the most limited. Um, well, it's a it's a scenario that saves the district about one hundred and thirty two million dollars in capital costs and fifteen million dollars annually. Well, you know, one of the things I've heard school board members complain about is that they don't know they don't have the backup for those numbers of the financial savings mm-hmm. that are allegedly going to be realized by these scenarios. They don't have the they don't have reliable data that backs up those claims by the superintendent right. that it's going to save right. that kind of money. So, how are they in a position to really, you know, yeah, make a, a, a an a educated decision about. I believe the district is going to be putting that out information out very very soon, oh. and and that I I think it's coming. Um, whether it, it'll be a spreadsheet or just a list or a category or a set of assumptions, um, that will all be in there. Well, we only have a month. Yeah, and we actually <laughs> only have uh, three days until comment closes yeah. online. So yeah, so. Yeah. That's not really helpful, you know, to delay it until there's three days of comment closing. You know, people can't have the opportunity to really dig deep into the supporting data that mm-hmm. supposedly evidences those kinds of savings mm-hmm. and, and make decisions. And it's a big decision, I think, to close all these or potentially close all these these schools. And the schools, let me just go through the list, uh-huh. Alan, before you jump in again. But the list of schools for the benefit of our listeners who may be in these districts are Adams Middle School, Chamberlain High School, closed Repurposing under repurposing. any scenario. Just, excuse me, partial repurposing under any scenario. It will not be closed. Okay, that's Chamberlain. Uh, Cleveland Elementary School, Greco Middle School, Jennings Middle School, Just Elementary School, Kimball Elementary School, Madison Middle School, McLean Middle School, Monroe Middle School, Morgan Woods Elementary School, and Smith Middle School. So those are the schools that are at issue for for the potential repurposing, closing, or uh, reuse in some other fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, let me ask you, Alicia, do you have objections to the closing of all of these schools? And if so, uh, what do you think could be done instead? I know, for example, I think it was just elementary school. One of the reasons why that school population has really decimated, you know, gone down so much is because of the closing of the, you know, uh, the public housing um Units in that neighborhood, and so people moved away, and um, I think they're slated for redevelopment, but mm-hmm. I don't know when that will will be completed. It's years away. It's years away. Yeah. yeah. So the the kids left the neighborhood, and so um, I'm not sure. You know that that isn't um, you know a justifiable um, option for just elementary as one example. I mean, if you don't have the population in the neighborhood, who are you preserving it for? Um, so let me ask you, who, does anybody have any comment on that? Okay. Um, well, we have a text message um, here that says, also the district's use of facilities is managed by state law. The district may intend to convert an education facility to office use, but will the state permit that? Is that true? Do yes, we- that's a, uh, there's a Florida statute. It's in the, in the Charter School Statute 1003, something, sub, Section 18. Um, and it basically says that 
when a district is not using a classroom or a school, it will report that annually to the Florida Department of Education. And the Florida Department of Education can suggest the use of that facility or those classrooms by a charter school, a charter operator. And if the charter gets the property, but maybe they want to move to a different location, they could sell that property um, with the district's permission. But I've been assured that that is not going to happen. The question is going to be, what's an educational use? Because if the district is not using a property for an educational purpose, uh, that's when that statute comes into play. Education purpose is absolutely district administration. It's absolutely pre-K. It's absolutely- We know that? I mean- Yes, those are absolutely education. Those are things that are expressly covered by the statute that the public education statute covers those things. Hmm. So yeah, it'd be hard for the Florida Department of Education to argue that those things are not education Teacher housing? That that I don't know about. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's the specific example that I, um, that would be the one thing I would be concerned about. Yeah. Not the one thing, but one of the things I would be most concerned yeah, about. Yeah, because, you know, we haven't, we, we don't have sufficient workforce housing mm-hmm. in t- the city of Tampa, for example, you know, where people, you know, could live near where they work or teachers could live near where they teach. Is it an education purpose to house your workers? Yeah. You know, I'm, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be a legal question, question right? Um, and I just want to note that Bubba has texted me back to say that uh, many black and brown parents who have step-up vouchers for their kids really like them. Get some of the parents on the air to discuss. Well, we welcome any parents who have step-up vouchers to give us a call and let us know uh, whether or not they're satisfied with uh, the program and what the education that their kids are are receiving. We certainly would love to welcome you on to talk about it. Um, And then we have a message who says, is there a way to ask for more time in the decision-making process? Great question. And why is it so necessary to do everything at the same time? Magnet schools should have been a part of the study. Moving one middle magnet school from central Tampa to a new location can reduce much of the shifting. Currently, about 2,000 students are bused from central Tampa to south Tampa and Brandon, the Sassa and North Tampa, yet they have five magnet middle schools. The changes are not equitable. Now, that's a very, very interesting um, comment. First mm-hmm. of all, the uh, the question of why is it, why the rush? Ah, the rush is because that, I think they've known for a number of years that these repurposings have to occur. They, Mr. Farkas and his team have a very good idea of what um, schools are not being properly utilized. The district, because of the way that the per pupil funding works, it runs an operational deficit if they don't do their extreme cost cutting, which they've been doing for the last couple of years. And our CFO came up with a fiscal recovery plan that helped eliminate the deficit last year, the operational deficit, and actually ended with a surplus. Um, But in order to fix it in future years, we need to do something about the utilization of schools. There's no question about it. The only question is whether we do it for this year or we do it for the future. And I think that's what parents are really concerned about. They want to slow down the process. Yeah. Um, the other part of this this uh, email about moving one middle magnet school from central Tampa uh, to a new location could reduce most of the shifting. Does that mm. seem accurate? I don't know enough about that. I, I will know. say this. I my my yeah. my son went to an IB program. He went to Robinson IB and 
so many kids came from West Chase to to Robinson. <laughs> That's you, Amy. I moved. To, to Robinson <laughs> IB. It was insane. Those kids mm-hmm. got it had to be like on a bus at like five thirty, five forty five in the morning to get to school, you know, by the time school started. I thought that was insane. That kind of that kind of um you know, moving kids around does seem detrimental, especially to high school students who need more sleep. <laughs> Yeah, they they need more sleep. But I mean, but 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 the point is that yeah. sometimes these magnet school boundaries are crazy. Yeah. Frankly, well, um, they opened it so you can pretty much go to any magnet school mm-hmm. you want now. Uh, um, which I well, think this was a few in the past. Years ago. It used to be you had kind of an area you could go to. Yeah, they are. There is an um, an IB program that started at Alonzo. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it's fully. Accredited, like, yet. accredited they yet. They have to actually graduate. They have to class. graduate a class, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, and I think that's either this year or next year. So the option to go to an IB program closer to West Chase is there now. Um, now. now. Yeah, this but, yeah. was 2015 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So there yeah. are more IB programs. The ACE, the Cambridge program is going to be in our all of our high schools. I think right. the opportunities for our high school students are going to be uh, so wonderful that mm-hmm. any high, even your community high school is going to be. Um, a great option, hopefully. Uh, Charles in Tampa writes us, isn't there a movement in Tallahassee to make school boards partisan? Because currently they're nonpartisan. Charles Mm -hmm. says that will just feed this movement to growing charter schools because they are a mechanism to funnel tax Mm -hmm. money into private pockets and continue to dumb down the education system, reinforcing the growing fascist presence in the state and groom students to be commodities rather than citizens. Okay, I'm not allowed to just say, yeah, I agree with you, but, um, you know, you have a point that that certain things could change, emphasis could change um, if our school boards are changed from nonpartisan uh, to partisan. And we have seen, I mean, the, the facts are out there. The last two decades, we've been controlled by a Republican state legislature that has definitely championed vouchers and charter schools over public schools and public school funding. I mean, that's just a fact. Um, so that's, you know, whether or not that would be increased if we had partisan school boards or not, I think is an open question. But It's hard to say. You know, I think um, from a PTA perspective, we're just, you know, we're always concerned about the oversight of public education dollars. So we're not opposed to charter schools, but, no. you know, um, we're no, just... We just want accountability. We want accountability. Yeah. We want to know that um, our public education dollars are being spent wisely, mm-hmm. properly on, you know, a quality education for every single student because mm-hmm. that's what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that we have Erlisha on the line. So, Erlisha, I know it's hard because you're not physically in the studio, but please feel free to jump in if you have a comment about um, the things that we're discussing. No problem. Okay. Um, and, uh, and one more text message. It says, remember, until the state decided otherwise, Hillsborough County could raise impact fees. They've had no problem retroactively adjusting what's permitted. Yeah, well, that, that I think that that was that you know we did we had the uh, referendum on the tax for uh, for uh, 
increasing the funding for capital improvements to the school system. That was a half penny sales tax, yeah, yes, yeah, for the capital improvements. Which did pass. 2018, yes. Yeah, which did pass in 2018. But we, we can't raise a tax just for general operating. Of uh, course we can. That's what the millage was. The well, millage would have gone to the operating account. Well, oh, right. But that failed. That yes. one failed. Mm-hmm. So we but can't. They'll come back. They'll yeah. do it again. They'll do it again? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It, that it one, was so close. And I... You know, there's a lot of reasons, but we also didn't have support from our newspaper. And um, I think that if there is a case to be made um, for the millage and for bringing the because their whole point was, oh, there's been all this trouble in the past. So let's not do it. Um, Maybe the approach could be, yeah, there's been trouble in the past, but let's support our students and our families and our teachers. And uh, so I, I think they'll come back with that. We'll see it in 2024. All right. If you're listening and you want to participate in the discussion, please give us a call with your questions or comments about the proposed school boundary changes. Um, You can call us at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org. Or you can text us at 813-433-0885. And particularly if you're a parent with a student in the public school system and you'll be affected by these proposed changes, we'd love to hear from you. Again, that's 813-239-9663. So um, I wonder um, if more parents understood that, uh, that, you know, this process will close down their community schools and require them uh, potentially to go shopping for schools, um, some of them farther from home, mm-hmm. that may, and, and not all of them may accept their children. I mean, that's one thing about public schools that people tend to forget in the support of charter schools. Public schools take every student. And if your student has special needs or what have you, they come up with a plan, an educational plan that's personalized to your student, and they make a place for your student. But charter schools don't do that. They don't accept every student. Mm -hmm. And they don't have educational plans for every student with special needs. Um, And many may not be better than the community schools, the community public schools that currently exist. Um, So, you know, that's one of the problems that I personally have with this increased emphasis on charter schools um, and private schools is that they're not open to everyone and not every student will succeed in them even if they are admitted so i don't know bubba that's my feeling about it um but uh but you know if you have a a school in your neighborhood that is on the list of those to be repurposed and you're concerned about uh, your kids' education and where they're going to go and, and what's going to be open to them, give us a call at 813-239-9663. Um, we'd certainly like to hear from you. Um, I do want to say, too, that the district has a website um, which details the proposed boundary changes. And you can easily go to that website either before or during um, or after you attend one of these community engagement meetings. Um, and and check it out for yourself and, and see if your neighborhood school will be affected. Um, the website is www.hcps-boundary.org. Um, and so if you're interested in seeing how it affects your kids, um, you might want to check out that website. 
Um, all right. I have a bunch of calls here now. Let me take a call from uh, Clay in Land Lakes. Okay, Clay, you're on. Make it brief. Okay. The one thing I think is that the study that should be done is on the failure of charters, charter schools. How often do these charter schools pop up, take a bunch of money uh, from the school district, and then close down and walk away with a pocket full of money? Okay. Thank you, Clay. Uh, we're going to try to stick to the topic of the boundary changes now. So let me take a call from John in Palmetto. John, you're on the air. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the impact fee. That's something that uh, and, uh, every count around the county in the Bay Area that, that has, has not lived up to the responsibility that impact fees need to be tied to. They're, you know, they're, they're, it's never enough. We're constantly running after the wagon, trying to make ends meet, but we're, we're, we don't spend a day without trying to lure more and more people down who, ha- who go to schools, who provide the pressure to, for all these arguments. And I, and I don't know why... Well, were you in favor of the referendum to increase the, the millage rate for education, well, the tax for education? Absolutely not. You are not in favor of it. No. Well, what I'm in favor of is is get, going after those resp- responsible, mostly responsible. Mostly responsible is and you're you're trying to, you're pushing it off on the people who already live here, and uh, uh, the well, who 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 should be paying for the public schools if not the public? Well, I'm talking about the regionally. That we're talking about us in the, in the Bay Area, and that's impact fee. For built for everything, we don't we don't charge enough because we want to lower. So you're in favor of a state tax, state state no, income I, tax. And I, I no, I'm in, no. See no, don't, uh, I'm saying it. I'll say it again. We need to raise the impact fees. The impact fees. What do they cover? They're supposed to cover the impact. Okay. We wait until the impact turns into a real problem. And then you start throwing everything back on the on the, the owners. So okay, well, certainly the referendum with the increase in the millage fees was was an impact fee. It was necessary because the population in the county has increased so much that our public schools needed more funding, and well, we weren't getting it from the state. So our leaders have completely failed us, not just in the schools, but everything else, the potholes. The, 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 you know, our highways, everything. We keep building bigger and bigger and bigger by uh, getting a little bit of matching funds from the state that lure us. But, but we're sticking it to everybody. We're All right. All right. Well, John, I thank you for your call. Um, I'm going to go back to the discussion about the boundary changes now, though. But thanks for your call. All right. I have a... I have a uh, uh, an email here from one of our listeners who says, if this was such a great plan, why hasn't the superintendent been promoting it like he did with the millage rate? He was everywhere when soliciting for those funds, but this rollout was over the holidays when offices were closed. When the community started asking for Mr. Davis to come talk, his office reports that he's, quote, very busy. Well, I think that's changed. That changed. Been- that changed. That I think it might have been partially as a result of our advocacy. I, at least I hope so. Mm-hmm. So um, Amy Marie wrote a letter to the board and to Superintendent Davis and to Mr. Fargus uh, asking for more authentic community engagement at the Galleria walkthrough events. They were originally slated to be science fair style events where you look at um, 
the maps and just make online comment and that's not what now happened. They, they, they were much more engaging. Much more yeah. engaging. Yeah. And we I was really pleased. I assume that the superintendent will participate in um, a number of them. I think Let so me too. take a quick call from DeAndre very quickly. You only have a second. What's your comment? Well, I have a question. What's the potential of utilizing virtual schools and then those properties as hubs for for teachers to work there on site and then maybe I don't know some function tutoring or something. Yeah, they could do that's that. That's a great that's a great suggestion. Thank mm-hmm. you for calling in with that. That's a really good suggestion. You mm-hmm. know, I that would certainly serve an educational purpose. But um, I'm afraid we have to wrap it up now because I do want to again go through Amy Marie um, the community engagement opportunities that are coming up. I know we have tonight at Plant High School and Leto High School, mm-hmm. 5.30 to 7.30. There'll be a program about the boundary changes tomorrow at Gaither and Sickles, mm-hmm. uh, 5.30 to 7.30. On Saturday, January 14th, School Board Representative Lynn Gray will be holding a community engagement event at the Gandhi Civic Center on Oklahoma Avenue. Mm-hmm. So if you have uh, kids in the system and you want more information, um, you can attend in person those events. There will be people from the school system there as well as representatives of the consultants who drafted these boundary change plans. And I understand that there now will be opportunity for questions and answers. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. In the presentations. Yeah. Uh, so they have opened up the the uh, opportunity for yeah. for parents and for the public to uh, present their questions in person. So that's a good thing. And I also understand that there will be a January 31st school board workshop to examine the three proposed scenarios and to consider grandfathering in juniors, seniors, and students in the fifth and eighth grades. That's uh, a topic that we didn't really get to explore, but I imagine parents are very concerned about that if they have kids who are going to be affected by the boundary change plans, but at at some significant part of their education um, when they're moving from middle to high school, for example, um, or if they're juniors or seniors in high school and they're getting close to graduate. All right. I want to thank my guests today from the Hillsborough County PTA, uh, Ellen Lyons, who helped put this program together. Thank you so much for that. Amy Marie Granger-Welch and Alicia Oates, thanks for joining us today to talk about the big changes likely coming to the Hillsborough County School System zoning boundaries. And if you joined us late in the show, feel free to go back and listen on demand to any of our shows from the Midpoint Archives at wmnf.org slash midpoint or on the WMNF app or you can find us at WMNF Midpoint wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I want to thank also our WMNF volunteers, Jessica Green, my soundboard op, thank you, and Barbara Fling who answers the phones for us. And as always, I want to thank you, the WMNF listeners, for your interest and your support of Midpoint. If you enjoyed this show, if you thought it was helpful, please consider dropping a tip in the tip jar. And please direct your donation to MPW Midpoint Wednesday. We are over 70% funded by our listeners' generosity here, and that's how we can keep it non-commercial for you 24-7. Please stay tuned for Talking Animals next. With Duncan Strauss, we are WMNF Tampa.
Live from NPR.